Happy Mark Podcast Show Death's Door by Paul Finch Prologue, 1997 As a rule, Kelly wasn't enthusiastic about thrillers or horror films. Okay, she didn't mind going to watch them at the same old Tom, but she tended not to do them at home. So how she finished up watching Scream that night, she wasn't sure. She hadn't long had the satellite link installed. She supposed it's still quite a novelty to have so many recent movies free at your fingertips. Trouble was that for once the various movie channel, movie channel choices been dull. Blind date and one of them. Rom-com she loved but already seen twice. Schindler's List, which had been a long haul for this be a long haul for this late in an evening a scream which on first hearing about she made a mental note that she wouldn't ever watch however she accidentally channel hopped into the middle of the opening sequence a spooky but quite absorbing scenario involving a young woman being terrorized by an unknown caller even then kelly wasn't hooked but she happened to be comfortable in her armchair she had a mug of freshly made hot chocolate and a in her hands and was easy and it was easy just to keep on watching. The film terrified her of course, and she ought to have expected it would. Perhaps that was why. Her first reaction when she thought she heard someone outside the house was to tell herself to grow up and stop being so silly. It was all over uh, it was all in her overactive imagination. It had sounded like someone was out there though. Kind of dull squeak, like a finger sliding along the outside of the lounge window. As she glanced at her watch, 9.50pm. It's still relatively early. A gurgling scream sounded from television. She glanced at the screen, fleeting, transfixed by the sight of the hooded, skull-faced killer. Gutteringly, Harry Winkler, who she'd seen last in Safon's, which reminded her that Though it was all horrifically realistic, it was also make-believe, and pretty silly make-believe at that. Hell's bells, girl, she tried, tried it herself, even a mug on the arm rest, questioning the room and yanking back the curtain at the main, on the main door. The front garden lay in darkness, but plenty of yellow street lighting speared through the canopy of well-trimmed bushes. There was a lot of traffic moving out there. And she had neighbours too. It was ridiculous to feel vulnerable in a corner of a town as gently populated as this. Another shriek from intelligence. She grabbed the TV remote and flicked it off. Then stood and listened, fancying she had heard a faint metallic click from somewhere out in the hall. Could it be been the front door handle? Kay knew it wasn't, but she went out there anyway. Before, after slotting her feet in a pair, to a pair of fluffy slippers, trying on her dressing gown over her nighty, she switched on the hall hall night and stared towards the front door. Hefty step of oak. If its handle had ten turned before, with no turning now, besides even if it did, didn't matter, door was doubled locked. But just to be on the safe side, she supposed she'd better check that there were locks 
were in place. She approached warily, wondering what to do if the door burst open in front of her. But of course she didn't. Locks were secure even as the, even the safety chain was on. Feeling better, she put her ear to the wood and listened. Briefly, she imagined she could hear a heavy breathing on the other side, as if someone was waiting to let her in. She let in. After listening a little longer, she realised it was no more than a regular rumour you heard at this late hour, when suburban London was settling down to sleep. However, she planted her ear on the wood again, just to be sure, and after that, in a momentous decision, because Cathy was that kind of obsessive girl who knew she wouldn't rest the night if she yeah. couldn't, didn't approach herself with, with undisputable proof. She unlocked the door. Even that wouldn't have mattered too much because of the safety change. Yeah. She peeked out through the narrow gap. There was no yeah. there, just a paved path leading away across the dipped mowed lawn. She could even see the point where it dipped down to a set of steps towards the drive. Yeah. Nobody's waiting over there either. In fact, thanks to the soft globe penetrating out from the house, she could see there was no one anywhere in the front garden. She was crying to be absolutely sure. She moved the chain and opened the door properly. Tom would be angry. He would he would use it as another lever by which to try and get her to move in with him. I know you you're in bed, you're in, I know you like your independence, Kel, you say, but a single woman living alone, there's a risk involved, especially when you feel constantly to keep showing the world that you can do it easily and you're not, so, you're not scared. She isn't scared because there's nothing to be scared of, she told herself as she stepped into, into the well onto the welcome mat. It was warm, August evening, and yes, that was a diminishing murmur of everyday London life, she could hear. She glanced right along the front of the house. Shafts of light penetrated out from the windows, illuminating the lawn and flower beds and neatly pruned bushes. It wasn't possible so much as a cat to hide itself. Next she glanced left to the nearest corner of the house. Someone was waiting to jump out on her. That's where he'd be hiding. The corner was only three or four yards away. He could well round if he, it before she even knew what was happening, but nobody did, and she knew that nobody would. In fact, she walked over there and peeked around the corner herself. Here she could see along the side of the house, right the way back to the back where the apple trees were. There was nobody down there either. Why would there be? Confident she faced down her fear. Kelly back went inside. Kelly went back inside, closed the door, locked, turned the locks and placed the chain. She opened the dressing gown and she returned to the living room. Something back into the armchair, sipping at a hot chocolate again. She considered switching the screen back on, mentally weighing out the pros and cons. It wasn't frightening, she advised herself, just daft. She was so engrossed into its ruminations that, that she only became aware, aware that there was someone else in the room. Then he rose behind the chair, placed a gloved hand on her shoulder. Kelly leapt to, the, leapt to her feet, a squeal locked in her throat. She railed around to face him, mouth agape, eyes bulging. He offered her the same hand now, an apparent gesture of friendship. Even though she hadn't said a word, it was plain from the look on her face she wasn't going to 
reciprocate. So instead, hand bored ball, into a he- big, heavy fist and slammed into the side of her head. Chapter 1, 2003 Hank met Gemma on the stairs at Bethnal Green Nick. She was coming down from the canteen while he was headed up. He left the flat before her, her that morning. She was briefly startled by how off his glam she looked. Smart blouse and jackets, tight skirt, heels full but tasteful makeup. Ash blonde hair styled in a single coin plait. Gold flat. He remembered that she'd been due to attend the sergeant's promotion board at around ten. How did it go? he asked. She looked pensive. Okay, probably not as well as your day. I heard you know Adam Brett Fairbrass for the acid attacks. Heck, stroke grinned. Nice pinch, he said. I got lucky. She slapped his face, a flat hand across his left cheek. Ouch, you're lucky I'm not dumping you. She paused passed and descended to the ground floor. Days he followed stumbling Arthur in the into the CID office, uh, or do as they, they call it, which was otherwise empty. Still angry, she shrugged her shoulder off, jacket off, dumped her bag on the desk and rooted some documents out of it. Okay, just Okay, what was that about? He asked, probing down the point of impact. She rounded on him, fists planted on his hips. Do you seriously think I want to come home every night to a fella with a face like the back end of a pig roast? What am I supposed to do? He protested. Let fair grass grow. I heard you taste him into the railway footbridge at Mile End. Well, yeah, just you. Shrugged again. I was a guy on the scene. Enough though, even though he was armed with a meat cleaver and a jar of sulfuric acid, Hake was somewhat lost for words. He, we are coppers, Gemma. This is what we do. Our risk assessments don't count for anything, I suppose, she retorted. He put at least two calls through. You were chasing the bastard. You named him Mark, which means you recognised him straight away. You got his details on the file. You know where he lives and works, who his associates are. You could have picked him up or, or later on with a full team in perfect safety. Hex shook his head. Gemma, he figured seven women. Women he didn't even know. Just walked up to them in the street and melted their kisses off. It was my case. I had him in my reach. I wasn't going to let him go. She shook her hand as she straddled to the brew cupboard and hit the kettle's on switch. You mean you didn't want someone else to get the credit? That's pretty unfair. She spooned coffee into her mug and poured the boiling water. You actually do not need to take a risk like that, Mark. The old boiling open and a human bowling ball that was T.S. Dave Shannon stood there. Oh, yo, heck, good work. He directed his thumbs up across the office. Result, my son. Result. Cheers, Dave, Heck replied. Shannon lurched away, leaving the passage outside empty except for one of the uniforms, who sorted through his pocketbook. Tenting a different tap, Heck slid his arms around Gemma from behind. 
She's stiffened, but only slightly. He nuzzles her neck. You better not get that mess on my back of my blouse, she warned in a softer tone. A pattern of tiny blood droplets crisscrossed Hex's shirt and tie. He had subconsciously, hadn't subconsciously brutalised Fairgrass Jr. but the E.T. acid thrower that oppressor dubbed him had been armed as well and was mentally disturbed, so Heck had needed to put the guy down hard at the first opportunity. I warned you not about taking risks, Gemma said. It worries me. That was an amusing thought. Just everything on the planet would worry, Detective Constable Gemma Piper. But Heck, a.k.a. Constable Mark Heckenberg, knew that she, she meant she was increasingly by the book these days, a stickler for procedures because she matured into a role of sergeant and waiting. She saw as an additional duty to keep others on the straight and narrow. As such, it might be have impressed her in the early days, Heck's own cavalier approach to law enforcement now seemed to get more and more under her skin. I couldn't let him run. I didn't even let him and not give chase, and not even chase. He tried to explain. Would you ever have looked at me the same way ever if I had? She disentangled herself from his arms and moved back to his desk. Don't try and put this on me. That doesn't wash. I know Sunday said I though she'd probably be a sergeant this time next year, given the incredible ways that she no doubt wowed her interviewer board this morning, who had done exactly the same thing as me. He said as she. She sat at her computer, manicured fingernails, hitting the keyboard, rapid fire. It's just a bunch with you, though, Mark. It happens too often. Okay, look, I'm sorry. I don't think you don't. That's your trouble. You're too busy playing the big bad wolf. He walks to his own desk. If that's the way the Scots think of me, I'm happy. She shook her head, annoyed that even that even even wasn't getting the point. I simply refusing to acknowledge it. Listen, I was thinking. He slumped into his own chair. You had a stressful day. What about it's Saturday tomorrow? You both off? Nip out for the inventory, maybe. Come back with a sick pack or two, double of DVD, couple of DVDs. Probably be late. I got a whole morning of paperwork to catch up on. Heck regarded her steadily, scanning out a chink in her armour. But she didn't return the gaze, focusing on her screen. He happened to glance at the half-open door and saw the uniform from earlier still hovering in the entrance. PC Vincent Pendras was something of a gallot, a big chap, Around six foot, um, with a spare, rangy, rangy build. Athletic too, apparently. Tackle and field, football, rugby, boxing, an actual sportsman. A local born to boot. An East End boy by origin. But he didn't count as much as he used to be, too. Always he made an impressive bobby, except for his age. Twenty-one was only half free probation. A few weeks out from under the watchful eye 
with tutor constable. It often showed he's a rugged, rugged looking lad, but he existed in a constant state of nervousness, so in fear he might always be about to do something wrong. Even now he hung around tentatively, helmet clutched in both hands. If he, was about, if he were about to skulk into the back of a church or something. Come in, Vinnie, Hex said. We're not going to eat you. Prentice looked, ventured forward, and watching curiously, Hex took a clean, neatly folded shirt and tied from his lower drawers, stripped off the off soiled originals. What can we do you for, pal? Uh, Sergeant Stone said I could come and talk to someone in CID. Well, you've got two choices, as you can see. But I wouldn't talk to her, hey, nodded at Gemma, as he buttoned up a new shirt. She's got one, she's got one on her. Gemma threw him in an irritated glance, but continued typing. Oh, right, um, yeah. Pendant's cleared his throat awkwardly. Sounds like you need a cup of tea. Need a cuppa? Heck, not... Nodded, nodded his fresh tie and indicated the door. A talk in the canteen. I'll make you one in there. But we don't want PC Piper earwigging. She only wraps her up to tell us I did it all wrong. Ah, yeah. Pedras followed as Heck strolled out. Uh, thanks, ma'am. I'm no madam, madam. Vincent. Gemma said without looking. I'm trying to, try, to tell you now. I'm Detective Constable. Means I'm the same rank as you. Uh, yeah, I mean, yeah, sorry, I mean, PC Piper, sorry. It was lunchtime, so the canteen was buzzing. Uniforms, plain clothes, civilian staff mingling noisily at the counter. Heck managed to find a vacant table in the far corner and advised Penless to sit down while he went to get some tea. When he returned with a tray, the PC was again leafing through his little notebook. K. Vinny, Hex said, pushing a cellophane cup across the table. I can't say give you too long. I've got a prisoner to deal with, but talk to me. Yeah, right, Panther said. A couple of days trot I've been sent to the same house at Chokeford Terrace, number 18. That biggish place on the junction with Strengthen Avenue and Hollow Green Crescent. You know the one I mean. Hex studied tea. The one with the overgrown front garden. Yeah, that's it. Port is empty. It's got a new occupier. A miss. Hang on. Goodness, checked his notes again. Uh, a miss. Brainbridge Dorothy. Cute name. What? But what's the story? The last two days I've been on an afternoon shift. Both occasions it's quite late. About nine-ish. Both nights Miss Brainbridge has spotted some bloke watching the house. First night he was sitting on the bu- in the bus stop on the other side of the road. He didn't catch a bus, and apparently he, he sat there for ages. What do you think? What made her think he was watching the house at glass? She said he had a copy of London Evening Standard, but it wasn't reading, just staring. Was he still there when she, you arrived? No, the first night. She reckoned he only just left. How did he leave? On foot? Carl picked you up? Pentridge shook his head. He doesn't know. Went to the phone to call us. They're back to when the bloke had gone. You had to look around the property. Fowley, black garden, side purchases, no treats of anyone. What about the second night? Near enough the same thing, except this time 
He was in a different position on the other side of Trigford Terrace in the shop, in, shop entrance, trying to get keep out of sight. Still watching house exiles. So she says, came in as soon as I came round the corner in the street, he legged it off down an alley. Did you give chase? I went, I went down the alley. Yeah, but there was no sign of him, so I took skins of CAD marks the premises for passing attention all night after that. Heck, wondered. Well, it's disturbing, I'll give you. But there's no law against standing on the street. Surely under public legislation. Yeah, yeah, heck, there's lots of ways he can lean on me, him. Don't worry about that. But could do with knowing who he is first. What he's actually up to. Well, that's the thing. Is it the first time he's done it? Okay. Mrs. Brambridge said there's been two other nights last week as well, just watching the house. How come she didn't report it then? Says he thought it might be nothing. Curious neighbour or something like that. She only moved two months in two months ago. I assumed she didn't recognise this bloke, Hex said. She says not. She's telling the truth. Is she telling the truth about that? I think so. She seems pretty scared. What's she like, the lady? Prentice gave it some thought. Early thirties. Quite together, I suppose. A queer sort. Tell me she owns her own antique business in Whitechapel. No husband, no kids, apparently. She's on her own full-time, yet yeah, local. Not for... Not from her accent, like more more like BBC English, you know what I mean. That figure, heck, full. It was a slow process, but the gradual gentrification, the year's end was underway for better or worse, remained to be seen. But rising rental and purchase prices already made, making the papers because of the threat they po- posed to pre-existing communities. That said, Trunkford Terrace and its surrounding suburban streets had long been something of a green pocket in the famous old inner city area. Situated as they were, bank straight bang alongside Victoria Park. So, he'd, he'd done this four times in total. She knows about Heck, said. I presume he made inquiries about the neighbours, asked if anyone else had been seen his fellow hanging around. Yeah, I have. No, they haven't, Predis replied, but it always seems to be late at night. Does anyone stand out in the open or so? She's not able to get a picture or anything. You've got a description at least. Predis took two folded sheets from his journal and handed them over. It's not much. She did her best. Heck, unfolded paperwork. Prize of a photocopy of Predis' original report. With a witness statement from Dorothy Brainbridge attached, the latter included a reasonable detailed description. Hey, skirmed through the basics. The Sussex was tallish, Miss Brainbridge estimated six foot two, heavy build, not necessarily martial, although it's difficult to tell because every case you want a large button up overcoat. It didn't bode especially well for Heckful. It was early October, mild and dry, and most people were walking around in light sweaters and amoracks. Of course, wherever the weather, overcoats were ideal for concealing and carrying awkwardly shaped implements like burglary tools or weapons. He ran on the suspect had been too far away to get a good look at his face. He wasn't be able to she hasn't been able to distinguish any features, but she thought he had a mop of dark colourless hair. 
When asked by permission to estimate his age, she suspected mid to late forties. Can I keep this? I asked. It's yours. How about the local intelligence office? They've had a skinny on local papers and such. Not spoken to them yet, parents admitted, red face. But that's the thing. That's why I wanted to speak to you first, Dr. Heck. Heck. Heck corrected him. It's much easier. Heck, uh, um, I'm a local service servant. I, well, I thought I remembered something about the house. Chief refers to me. So I went off and had a read. That's that pat. By the look of the young PC's face. There it was. It's totally bugging him. Go on. Six years ago, there was a murder there. And it's still unsolved. Heck found himself straightening his hair. Keep talking. Before I joined the job, obviously. Do only know what I'm able to dig up, but it was a lone female occupying it too. Her name was Kelly Alexander. She was stabbed to death at a burglary, they think. The name Kelly Alexander didn't exactly strike Heck as familiar, even though he'd now been a cop for eight years and served his initial time in the Grand Manchester Police, only transferring down to the Met two years ago. Later, 1997. Joining CID, CID 1998, if this murder occurred in 97, he would more likely, more likely not heard about it, especially as back then he would have been handled by the major incident, area major incident, Paul, which is now disbanded. Does Miss Bebron know about this? Postro didn't mention it. If, she, if he does, I certainly didn't tell her. Good lad. Heck lapsed into thought on him. So what do you think, Penis? I think you've done a good job. So, the PC looked vaguely helpless. What should I put your paper in, Mark? Mark it, fervorized by DC Heckenberger, okay? Oh yeah, thanks, Heck. Premis looked relieved to have had his just responsibility taken off of him. They finished their tea and went into their separate ways. Penis going back to on patrol, heading down to at the to the DO. Just before he entered, a female voice held him, held him from along the corridor. The figure of D.I. Gwen Stalker stood at the door to custody. They let Chris they were stew in the interview for a couple of hours to let the per normal fall. But Gwen would now rolled the sleeves on the brow back and clearly was impatient to get going. Whenever you're, whenever you're ready, Heck, she called. Two minutes, Cub, he said, shouted back. Five tops. Stalker disappeared into the custody suit while Heck scuttled into the D.O. Gemma was still beating a tattoo on her keyboard. She had the same length for, she had the same length of service as Heck, but spent a whole time in London. Ought to have slightly better handled the new case at hand. Kelly Alexandra, he said without pre- preamble. She was so absorbed that it was a second before she recalled, realized he was talking to her. Finally, she glanced up. Mm, Kelly Alexandra. 
You have any involvement with that inquiry? She looked at her, she took her head. I, I, I was still wooden top. You remember it like? Yeah, vaguely, only vaguely. I was in the limehouse at the time, still on my first beat. What happened with the murder on me? Gemma sighed, realising he wasn't going to leave her alone until she gave, gave him something. For as I recall, Kelly is on that a single woman living alone, disturbed number one person on the premises, suffered a severe beating, and a number of stab wounds to the chest, at least one of them pierced her. Oh, no sign of sexual assault, case still open. But AMP, AMP made her pro, any, make any progress at all? I don't know. Talk to the cold case team at the specialist crime directive. They're in charge of it now. Heck nodded. He glanced at his newly acquired paperwork. Just out of interest. Did you ever circulate a description of the suspect? Mark, I don't know. I was six, it was six years ago, okay? He nodded and withdrew. Hey, he called, him, called after him. Just out of interest. Why? Heck stopped in the doorway. No particular reason, said I think he might be back. 